starting off today in Titus chapter 3, uh, ESV version. If you need a Bible, we have them on the side tables. You're welcome to take that and take it with you if you need one. Um, Titus 3, 3. For we ourselves, that's all of us, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Let's pray. We thank you, O oh God, that you are who you are so that we don't have to remain who we are. That you extend grace, mercy, and loving kindness to a people who deserve none. You give it all. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So do you remember being like that? Come on, Scott. Come on. Come on, do the bobblehead. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> Oh, you can all go home then. <laughs> of course you do. We all do. We all remember being that way. But the real question, the more important question is, do you find yourself still being that way? And of course, it's not as blatant as it once was. But you know that the longer you walk with and the closer you get to Jesus, then the less wrong it takes to feel the greater conviction about our behavior. I mean, the things you used to wink at, it's now like, oh, oh, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. So we walk around carrying these burdens of guilt and shame rather than the liberty and freedom he desires us to walk in. There is a reason why this is so, and today we may find a solution for some of you so that you don't have to remain there. So let's read on. And this is one of my favorite words in the Bible, but. But. Do you know why it's my favorite? It's a loophole. It's a way out. It's a transition point. See, if I got stuck in who I used to be, it would not be pretty. But, I found my way out. But, Jesus redeemed me. But, God came along. But, God chose me. But, God knew my name before the foundations of the world. That's why I love that word. Right? But, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. So here is God's initial response to our fallen condition. Because he is good and his mercy endures forever, he offers us salvation through the death on a cross of his beloved son, Jesus Christ, whose shed blood washes away the stain of sin that has kept us in bondage to fear and death, and then awakens our spirits to eternal life. And when you know this truth, and you know this truth, you all know this truth, it is by grace 
It is by grace through faith, and not by anything we deserve or by anything that we do. It is a free gift of God. Salvation jumpstarts eternity in our souls and begins the process of regeneration. What does a generator do? Creates power, right. You guys are awesome. It produces power. And so the process continues to unfold. And it goes on with the reading, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So he gives us salvation, and then he gives us renewal of the Holy Spirit. So not only does God offer salvation through his son, but he offers us the power to walk in and live out of that salvation by sending the Holy Spirit to us. What's a generator produce? Power. So he regenerates us. He gives us power by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I love this. And he poured out on us richly. Richly. He didn't give us a trickle. He didn't give us a taste, a whiff, an aroma, an experience. He poured out on us richly. You know, how many of you have Pentecostal background? How many of you have charismatic background? So you might say, oh, Pastor, I, I, I get the Holy Ghost. I got that. Had that experience. Got Phil, spoke a tongue. You know, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. No. So have you read the book of Acts? And they were all filled again, as at the first. And the room where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled again, as at the first. You see, it isn't a one-time experience. You need to put more gas in the generator every so often, right? So we need the regeneration of the Holy Spirit consistently as we walk. You know, we get spent. We get spent. We pour ourselves out for the sake of the kingdom of God. And if nothing's coming in, eventually nothing goes out. We need the regeneration of the Holy Spirit again and again and again and again. I know when I, I travel on the missions field, uh, especially when we were going into Liberia during the Civil War, uh, we would be preparing uh, for several months in advance for each trip. And the evangelist who was leading us at that time uh, had built into his uh, process of preparation that every day, every single day from the first meeting, you had to pray in tongues about the missions trip. Because he said, by the time you get there, you have to be filled with enough power to be poured out at the level they need to be ministered to. And it was very, very intense. We need it. We need it. So he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that God has a purpose in this, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If you don't know who you really are in Christ, 
then you will never live as you were reborn to live. And you will never live in the power of the kingdom unless the power of the Holy Spirit is actively living in you. I say actively living in you, revealing to you who you are as a born-again, spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ and what your inheritance as an heir is in this age, in this age, what you can expect uh, from God for the purpose of the expansion of the kingdom and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the age to come. We are looking forward to something, aren't we? Now, how many of you are simply looking forward to either dying and going to heaven or hearing a sound one day and getting whisked up to heaven? Is that your goal? It's not my goal. I hate to disappoint you. It's the wrong goal. No. Oh, here comes Pastor Dick's annual heresy. (laughs) My goal is to be part of the restoration of all things. Listen, it isn't so much that we're going up to heaven. Heaven is coming down to earth. He's going to restore. Listen, creation groans, the Bible says. All of creation groans, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Creation itself, which is under the curse, is waiting for us to be who we were designed to be so that the redemptive process of everything can be restored. We're going to have paradise here with him on this terra firma in new bodies. You're not going to sit on clouds, and I know a lot of you wanted to play a harp. You know, take music lessons. There's other stuff he's got to do, and it's going to be awesome. If all you're waiting for is the great by and by, it's going to go by. Better things are coming, church. Better things are coming. Thank you, Lord. I got off track on that one. I I love Martha's word this morning because it fits right in here. I, I wrote down, the hour is here when God is looking for those who are looking for him. It's going to be the Father's revival. This is the time for that. He's looking for those who are looking for him with passion, seeking him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. A people who want not only to know about God, but to actually know him intimately. And beyond that, as Paul says to the Galatians, and to be known by him. Terrifying scripture. Group of people say, Lord, Lord. Jesus looks at them and says, I don't even know you. You obviously know me. You know about me. You call me Lord, Lord. Well, didn't we prophesy and do miracles and all these works? Didn't we do all that? Maybe, but it's not in my memory banks because I don't know you. Can you imagine spending your whole life doing what we do? I mean, what what have you left behind? What are the things that you've given up to follow Jesus? What are the, the amount of energy 
we put out into the world, the hopes that we hold in our heart, the people's burdens that we carry. You know, we hear someone is sick, someone's in an accident. You know, our son Mike fell off a roof and, you know, 86 fractures in both his legs. The amount of prayer that instantly began, people began to dedicate. My next door neighbor had her three little kids on their knees last night praying for Mike, you know, just this tall. You know, can you imagine spending your whole life in this and then getting before him and he says, I'm drawing a blank on you, man. It isn't the Father's heart for that. Simple sinner's prayer can no longer be offered as the final solution to our condition. It's not enough. We must pursue the kingdom of God by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We need his power because he is calling us and desires to equip us to be powerful. Now, I don't mean powerful. I mean powerful. He wants to fill us with his power. Okay? Uh, just a little video clip I want to interject at this point from uh, Jeremy Riddle.
the will of God. This is not about humility or not wanting to be offensive. This is about the fact that if we do not become light, if we are the light of the world, the world dies if we do not step into our purpose and actually do the function that God created us to do. Does that make any kind of sense to anybody out there? Wonderful. You know, there's all this talk that the world's getting darker and darker and darker. Well, if we are the light of the world, who is that on? Who's that on? Yeah, it's getting darker out there, isn't it? You know, the onus is on us to be who we're called to be as the church. We are the spotlight. We're heaven's spotlight. You know. First Thessalonians 1, 4 through 6. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not in only, only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So God chooses you. God chooses you. I just think this Western church idea of somehow we choose him, we choose to follow him, we choose to surrender to, to him, uh, that, that is not the way it works. God chooses you in his goodness, in his grace. You don't have the capability to choose him. When you hated him, he loved you. When you were at enmity with you, with him, he died for you. It's all his activity towards us that draws us to himself. He has chosen us and he calls us to himself. God chooses you and the good news comes to you in word. Somebody told you the good news. You heard that, your heart was moved, you knew that God was calling you and you responded to his choice. You came into alignment with God's will. God didn't come into alignment with your life. All right, now that you're my God, this is what I need. Western Christianity. All right? So it comes to you in word, in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And all of that leads to joy. I, I love this. It leads to joy. So I'm, I'm wondering, have you ever really felt joy while under full conviction? I haven't. I hate getting under conviction. You know, I, 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 I know fruitful stuff that comes afterwards and all of that. And, you know, but when you're in it, I don't, I don't get the joy thing there. Sorry, you know. Conviction is weighty. It's heavy. It forces us inward to examine those things in us that we would rather avoid. That's what conviction does. It opens up a spiritual window. It gives us an apprehension of who I really am. 
I mean, David had that experience, right? Take not your Holy Spirit from me, Lord. You know, just got a revelation of who I am. (laughs) Don't go away, please. And what is Paul saying? He's saying exactly what he said. It's not the use of the word that is off. It's the application of the word that we miss. So let's look first at the meaning of the word translated full conviction. In the Strong's, it's in the Greek, and it's number 4136, and I'll try to pronounce this halfway proper. Playrothoria. 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 Full conviction. Playrothoria. It means entire confidence, full assurance, to carry out fully with evidence, with evidence, the, the assurance produces its own evidence, that is completely assured or convinced, entirely accomplished, most surely believe, fully know, persuade, make full proof of, full conviction. But here's the thing. The word is used in the first person tense. In other words, it is not projecting outward towards the recipient. In other words, Paul isn't saying this to us. You're going to have full conviction. Okay? But the assurance, the belief, the full proof, and ability to fully know reflects back to the Holy Spirit. God is under full conviction about choosing you. He is fully convinced and persuaded that his word, his power, and his spirit can accomplish his will in your life. Are you? Are you in agreement with him? Because in the moment that you are convinced, you will know joy unspeakable and full of glory. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is not the mundane things of life. The everyday needs and pressures that demand so much of our time and energy. The kingdom of God rises above these things because the kingdom emanates from heaven. And heaven does not dispense worry and anxiety. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And this is so important to understand. God is good. He does no evil. Do you believe that? Um, here I go again. I'm here to tell you you don't. You may think you believe it, but let something go wrong in your life. Oh, God, why are you doing this to me? Yes? God is good. He does no evil. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. He doesn't do things to us. He's not a trickster. Filthy little hobbit. (laughs) That is not our God. He's straightforward, and he's good. He loves us and gave himself for us. That That is his modus operandi. Listen to what Jesus says to his closest followers in John 16, 7. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, he's not standing there with a suitcase. He doesn't have a set of tickets for Manchester Airport. He's not flying out on Southwest. He's standing there saying this with the cross in plain view, understanding that he's going to get beat to a pulp, nailed to a tree, and suffer death. It's expedient. It's in your best interest that I go away. I'm doing this for you. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And it is still in our advantage. It is still his priority that we receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Listen to Acts 2.32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. So here's the scene. Jesus says to his disciples, listen, this is in your best interest that I go through all of this because if I don't, the Holy Spirit will not come. So he's beaten, he's mocked, he's crucified, he dies, he's buried, he raises from the dead, he's seen by over 500 over a 40-day period, he ascends to heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and the Father says to him, here is my Holy Spirit. Do as you will with him. Remember, Jesus is sovereign over all including the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus could have done anything he wanted with that. But having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. When he received the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he turned around and poured it out on us. It is all about us from God's point of view. Now, if you don't want to shine in that, if you don't want to stand in the, in the spotlight for that, if you don't want to be a bright light for that, understand this. In your darkness and dimness, somebody else is going to die. Somebody else is going to perish because they'll never see the light that you are destined to shine into their life. You need to be who you're called to be. We need to be filled with power from on high so that we can drive back the darkness and expand the kingdom that is to come. There's this uh, really neat story in the second chapter of Luke. Um, in the storyline, Jesus has been born in Bethlehem, and um, hate to disappoint any of you, but he was not born Italian. Okay? He was born a Jew. So that means... Certain things are going to happen to this little baby boy. At eight days old, he's going to be circumcised. Everyone say, ouch, all you guys, ouch. Right? Going to get circumcised. Now, he's the firstborn son. So that in the scripture, it says, the firstborn son who breaks the womb, to him, he is holy to the Lord. So after he's circumcised, he's brought to Jerusalem, and he's presented to the Lord. And certain sacrifices are made uh, for that holiness. So uh, if we could get that Luke 2 up there, maybe uh, 21. 
uh, where are we at? 25. Okay, so they go to do this. They, go, they circumcise Jesus. They take him to Jerusalem. They present him. They do the sacrifices. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, I can tell you exactly what Simeon was waiting for because it was the worldview of the Jewish people in Jesus' day. Messiah is coming. When he comes, he's going to be awesome, just like King David was awesome. He's going to come in. He's going to establish his throne. He's going to drive the Romans out. We'll be a free people again. Our kingdom will stretch from Egypt to the Euphrates once again. We'll be a force to be reckoned with in the earth, and we won't have to pay taxes to Caesar anymore. It's going to be awesome. This is what Simeon was waiting for, okay? But he was waiting for this by the Holy Spirit. Next, next verse. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon goes to, to the temple, and he's looking for a man. who looks just like King David. He's looking for a power play because that was the anticipation. When Messiah shows up at the temple, it's to take over, to drive out all the enemies. So the Holy Spirit said, you will not die until you see the Messiah. Next verse. And he came in the spirit. He came how? in the spirit, into the temple, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do to him according to the custom of the law. So Simeon's there. He's looking around. Is he here today? Is he here? Is he here today? And, you know, there are parents bringing in kids all the time. And Joseph and Mary walk in with this eight-day-old little baby boy. And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. How did he recognize what he was not looking for? How will you recognize, how will you ever recognize what you're not looking for? unless the Holy Spirit is giving you eyes to see. How many missed that little baby boy? Only two on record, him and Anna, the prophetess, recognized him that day, both filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to take just a moment or two to pray and see what the Holy Spirit will reveal. I have a word from the Lord towards ministry today, and we're going to, we're going to transition into ministry time. So if you just kind of quiet your hearts and, you know, just say to the Father, you know, I, I want that good gift. I need that good gift. I need more than I've had up until this point. Would you fill me again? Would you fill me for the first time? Would you come, Holy Spirit? We welcome you in this place. We rejoice, oh God. We need your presence. We need your power. We need your joy. Come, Holy Spirit. Come.
So I, I'm talking mostly to the women here this morning, but this may apply to some of you men. It did in the first service. This word has been in my heart uh, for the last couple of days. And the storyline is in the Gospels. Jesus is at the temple. It's the Sabbath day. And there's this woman. It says she was bowed over. So she would look like this. And her issue was blood. You ladies know what that means. She was having her period. Now, what's a normal period? How many days? Three to five days, seven days, maybe. I mean, if you went two weeks, you'd be worrying, right? Let's say 18 years. This woman was bowed over with an issue of blood for 18 years. And Jesus is at the temple, and she never says a thing. She thinks something. Man, if I could touch, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'd be made well. She does. Jesus spins around, and he says, <laughs> who touched me? Disciples are going, what, are you kidding? We got a mob here. You know, everybody's touching you. He said, no, I felt virtue go out from me. And this woman comes up. It was me. The blood stopped flowing. The life running out of me that I was losing stopped flowing. And he heals her. And all the religious community goes off their rocker. What are you? doing it's a sabbath day you can't heal on the sabbath day and i love his response how much more should this daughter of abraham who satan has held bound for 18 years be healed So if you put this picture together, you've got an image of a believer who Satan has his hand on her upper back, pressing down maybe at the base of the neck, bowing her over. And as he does, all of her life, all of the eggs that represent life inside of her are flowing out for 18 years. He's not letting her have any of it. And once that happens, according to their culture, because she's constantly bleeding, she's unclean. So she loses all of her friends and all of her family because no one can touch her. If they touch her, they can't worship at the temple. If they can't worship at the temple, then their life is going to go downhill. And I'm not going downhill for her. You know, that's her problem. I don't know. She must be some kind of sinner or something, but let her deal with it. You know, we've got no power with her. And it says that she spent all of her money on doctors. So she's got no money, she's got no family, she's got no friends, and blood is pouring out of her so that pretty soon she's going to have no life. All because the enemy is pressing down on her and keeping her in bondage. And I think there's some in this room today 
that you're under the weight and burden of some things that is depriving you of the fullness of the life that Jesus has for you. Now, I don't know if it's physical. I don't know if it's emotional, psychological. She had all of it. But if you've got any of it, not only is the hem of his garment here, but the fullness of his Holy Spirit is here. All the virtue that flowed out of him permeates this atmosphere today. Now, I don't know what, what weight is on your shoulders. These are the things I'm, I'm sensing. I'm sensing powerful words of destructive force about your worth and value as a woman, as a girl, for some of you. I want you to know that Jesus considers you a princess, that to him you're like a, a bride, a queen, and you're awesome. And whatever men have spoken over your lives as far as your worth, your value as a woman, as a lover, as a friend, as a wife, all of that, today I lift it off in the name of Jesus and I remove Satan's hand from, from, the, from your back. No more. No more. I'm sensing in the spirit that there are secret addictions. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, with women. Yes, women get into pornography. I want to break that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bind all addictive spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I command you to take your hand off the backs of these women and any men. Listen, you guys, you know, just let your spirit grab hold of these. I'm talking to the women, but... If you're hearing it and it applies to you, receive it. Let his grace and mercy flow into you also. I have a sense of a strong binding spirit of fear because of different things that have been spoken into your life from the medical profession about internal things that are going on and there's no recourse. You're just going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. You'll just have to suffer it through. If you take enough drugs, you know, you'll be comfortable, but this is your lot in life. I break that right now in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not your lot in life. Jesus Christ is the great physician, and he will heal you today. There's deliverance and healing in this room today. I'm going to pray one more time. I'm going to ask Holy Spirit if you would reveal to anyone in this room if there are other issues, I remember the words that Jesus spoke. If any of you are heavy laden and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I believe the Lord wants to minister his rest his deliverance, and his healing today. I'm going to ask you if, if any of those have touched you, if that's you can say, yes, Pastor, that's me. You don't have to name the specific, but I want to invite you to come up. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come up. Crystal, would you come up also? I'd like you to pray for some of the women. Prayer team, come up.
I say, come, Holy Spirit. Have your way. Have your way in each heart and each life today. Do what you do. You are the healer, the deliverer, the restorer of our souls. Come, O God, and meet your bride in this place. Let the virtue of Jesus Christ flow like a river in this place to accomplish your will. That we might shine all the brighter as the Father initiates revival in the lakes region. Light us up, O God. Set us on fire so they can watch us burn, that their eyes will be on the flame and they will find you in the midst of the fire. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Bless your people.